It's the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. And basketball time to kill. Love picks up Curry. Kyrie Irving from downtown. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. It's over. It's over. The 52 is over. The Cavaliers have won the NBA championship. Cleveland, this is for you. Sexton works on Irving. Hey. The and one. Well, that happened. We should, uh, we should have known that due to our strong opinions in the last episode, this was absolutely going to happen. Donovan Mitchell is officially the Cleveland Cavalier. Yep. So happy we just wrapped an episode earlier this morning stating our case as to why we should keep Sexton and not pursue Mitchell. Perfect timing. So how do we want to kick this off? <laughs> no. Obviously, uh, this is a special episode. We very similar to when we dropped an episode about the lottery, the draft lottery. This is a short take, but we wanted to come on and address the elephant in the room. We just put an episode up, as Colin mentioned. I don't know if you had a chance to hear it yet. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you don't want to now. I, whatever. Still has some good takes there. But we addressed this situation. There was rumor that Mitchell would become a Cavalier. And then it immediately stopped, and I thought that I thought that to be a little bit curious. And we did cover that in the last episode that it seemed possible that even though the conversations ended and the Cavs were like, "No, we're out," mm-hmm. right? That it almost felt like they were saying that to just make everybody stop paying attention, and that it was still a strong possibility that they'd swap these players eventually. And it then it happened today. <laughs> So what do you think, Colin? I'll let you take the floor in your response of uh, yay or nay to to this development. It is a crazy development to me. I never thought this would happen. I remember there were rumors about the Cavs being linked to Mitchell or that the Cavs would be in on whatever was happening in Utah earlier this summer. I never thought it would be actually us being the facilitators of trading a bunch of our talent and assets to go after a Utah player. I thought it would be similar to what happened with Brooklyn, where we would kind of swoop in at the last minute and be like, let me just take uh, some of your good players there and step out the back door, like how we got Jared Allen. That being said, you know, as you mentioned, we we dropped uh, the episode this morning where We had a lot of takes. This kind of fits a little bit of our pros and cons because we didn't give up as many players as we thought. A lot of reporters thought that we would have to give up Mobley or Garland or Allen to get Mitchell. Some reporters, even Chris Manning of uh, Fear the Sword and Locked On Cavs, implied that we would have to give up five to six draft picks to get Mitchell. And again, we didn't have to do that either. We had to give up three players and three picks. So that's still a lot, 
but it's not as much as what other people alluded to. There are a lot of things swimming through my head about what happens with the rest of the team and the roster and how it all shakes out. It's just kind of stunning that the move even happened. Is there anything else you wanted to comment on? Am I am I missing like an angle or or a take here? At first glance, this seems like a lot. And uh, I want to say right off the bat, Colin Sexton, you're not listening. But if anybody that knows you or anybody that appreciated you is, uh, we're sorry that this is the outcome. Uh, mm-hmm. You'll never play in a Cavaliers jersey again. And the fact that the last time you got to play in a Cavs jersey was short-lived due to injury is going to leave a bad taste in my mouth mm-hmm. for the rest of your career. Mm-hmm. And I bet it'll leave a bad taste in yours too. So I'm glad you're in the West and I'm glad we won't see you very often. I bet you'll have a target on us forever. Um, but thank you for the time that you put in here. Thank you for the dedication that you put in to the team, to the organization, to your own commitment to the game. You are a consummate professional. I'm excited to see what happens with your career. And I'm just sad it won't be as a Cavalier. That being said, we talked about this. We said, all right, we could see them swap these players because they're basically the same player. Now, that's no disrespect to Donovan Mitchell's elite ability or highlight real ability. I'm not really sure how I want to put it, but basically the guy is a scoring machine, no doubt. And he could easily get you 50 a night if he really wanted to. Mm -hmm. It might be a detriment to the team, but the guy can literally do it every night at this point in his career. And he's only 25, right? Yes. Okay. So we didn't lose anything by swapping these players. You have to look at the other pieces. And for me, it actually breaks down pretty favorably in the Cavs direction that even though it's a lot for one player, it makes a lot of sense for what they've been doing over the last two seasons. And the fact that they've picked up piece after piece after piece, not only to improve what they have, but to prepare for this moment when they would be going after a major name and finalizing the rebuild. Yeah. And everybody was looking in Durant's direction. Oh, well, maybe Durant will be a Cav now, you know? I think it's because Mitchell is just such a similar player to Sexton that, like we Mm -hmm. said, why not keep what you have? You don't have to pay as much. There's not as much of a a wonder there about team chemistry or other other factors. But barring Mitchell being a problem, all we did was lose Laurie Markkinen, a piece that is intriguing and great, and I really like him as a person. But we immediately signed him to a four-year, $80 million deal. And I turned to you and said, well, that's a very tradable contract. Yes, yes, very tradable. And I felt he came on the team to prove something, probably not to stay, though. Yeah. And the Cavs wanted to see, well, if we have this short backcourt, what if we have this huge you know, front court? Mm. And what if we have seven footers in the three, four, and five position? And it was an interesting thing. But just the fact that they were floating that they wanted to play a Kuro more mm-hmm. at the small forward position this coming season, it meant, well, where's Laurie going to go? You know, And I have a hard time picturing him being a consistent power forward in this league. So the fact that they gave him up, we have plenty of pieces there. Okoro can move back there. Ochai Abaji should have played there, and he's another piece that's gone. But he's an unproven 
at the end of the day, he's a he's a person that they would need to bring along because he's a uh, a new piece, a new uh, addition to the league. Mm-hmm. I think this move is the Cavs saying we're going after the chip over the next four years. Yes, and the reason why is because they signed Allen to a five year contract last season. They locked him into $20 million a year, which was the most favorable contract you could ever imagine to get for that guy. Mm -hmm. And it left them wide open to be able to make these kinds of deals and sign other big-name players so that they could go after this, right? Mm -hmm. The fact that they traded three first-round picks means that they have no interest in the future of the team building itself. Right. Mitchell is the final piece, in their opinion. Mm -hmm. So now it's Mitchell, Garland, Allen, Mobley, and it's that for the next four seasons Yep, at minimum, and they're going to be going hard at a ring. So even though we didn't approve of the move in the episode, right, that we just dropped. Right. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> well, but that's in context of everything we said then. Yeah. Which is, why swap these players if you are going to end up paying less money for the same player, and you already know he has great team chemistry with what you have. He likes being here. They like playing with him. That's still a possible problem. But when you look at the moves they made in addition to, that's just them indicating we're all in to win it all, and we're ready to move certain players back into key roles, like Akuro, for example. So a lot of the questions we've had all offseason have been answered today from this one move. You'd made a really salient point in respect to you bring in Mitchell, but if you still had Lowry and Ochai, those are mainly offensive-minded players. And all of a sudden, you're bringing in a top-20 scorer, a guy who led the Utah Jazz, a team that had really high offensive efficiency. Donovan Mitchell was the leader on that team. He was the scorer on that team. So if you brought in a score-first player and you still had offensive-minded players, I'll steal this line from you. The ball has to get around to everybody. There has to be enough touches for everyone. And that would be an instance where you're dealing with other players in diminished roles offensively, and it wouldn't work as well. Donovan can definitely have an output that's similar to Lowry and Ochai. His offensive output is slightly better than... Sexton's just in different ways. He shoots better from the outside. He's not as mid-range focused as Sexton was. And so it makes more sense when you give up those other assets. We were kind of looking at it from the angle of, oh, well, if you still have a bunch of these players on your bench, how does this actually fit? What Altman did here is fitting Mitchell onto the team. And yes, fit is still going to be an issue, but that's up to JB now as to how everybody kind of behaves and gets along on the floor. But from an asset management angle, Altman did a favor to JB so he doesn't have to juggle as much in the sense of making sure everybody gets their touches. The other thing I will say, I'll I'll loop back down to Sexton or back to Sexton real quick. I agree with you. I wanted him to stay. It'll be bittersweet for me that he's on another team, mainly because, you know, Collins have to stick together, even though he has two L's in his name. But they did right by him in the sense that he's going to get his contract that he wanted. He wanted much more money than the Cavs were willing or able to do. 
and they kind of did right by him by actually getting him the cash that he needed and and really establishing a value for him. He's actually got a much higher value than he would have if he would have signed just the qualifying offer. I agree, though. He he still might have a target on the Cavs uh, on that on that calendar, you know, the couple times a year. Two questions. Do you think they might make another move to kind of round out the roster at all? And then who do you see in that number three spot, the small forward spot? Well, as far as making other moves, um, I think they're done in the sense that they're done for the foreseeable future about anything major on this team. That's it. Uh, It's going to be role players from here on out. It's going to be one-year deals and small contracts and all of that. We are now one of the contenders in the East, and they're not going to give it to us right away because they're going to say, well, we need to see how they gel and all that. But... We were saying that they should win 10, 12 games more than what they were you know, slated to get. I bet they'll get that now. I bet they're going to rise. And that's the other thing. When a team looks at this situation and says, well, even though on paper they are very similar, and even though we could keep the player that we have, and there's a lot of benefit to that, they saw this as the biggest move, a historic move. I can't wait to hear the press conference. So in that regard, now that they've made all of those choices, they are just going to be filling in the gaps from here on out. I don't foresee any more moves. I foresee, if anything, a wing being picked up now that Ochai's gone because that was kind of the thing that he satisfied. But I also wonder how much Levert has become a much more viable asset on this team that I'd move him now around. I'd move him in the two and the three position and kind of see, depending on the matchups, where he's comfortable. But I wouldn't necessarily start him there. I don't know who they're going to start at the small forward position, but I think it does open Akuro back up to getting his minutes to where they were the first season. Given that they were telegraphing that that's what they wanted to do, I would expect that we're going to see Akuro at least have more opportunities to start. So whether or not that sticks or he takes those opportunities and runs with them. It's still a team that for him to show his ability and really blossom as a player, there may be too much talent on this team for him to actually be able to prove it. But he now needs to figure out, you know, he's going to have an adjustment period again, which is, is probably going to be difficult, but we've talked about how he needed to be more aggressive. He needed to do certain things offensively, Well, now, if he can just be a guy who can be a little bit more of a threat from the outside, and if he can break down teams on that end of the floor with his offense, I think that that could be helpful to have a guy like Donovan Mitchell. He's a little bit more of a bailout player because he can shoot from the outside better than Colin Sexton. There could be an instance where Coro is actually a little more comfortable on that side of the ball because he knows that he has Mobley, Allen, garland and mitchell around him so he knows he just has to make two or three actual moves as opposed to completely being iso per se the other guy i will say you and i were mentioning i'm very curious if mobley is placed at the three at times at least on offense to see if evan can be a little bit more of a power forward small forward against certain teams we mentioned that and you you know you hit the nail on the head which is that's a very 2k thing but we've seen that Bickerstaff is pretty creative in his lineups 
And remember, they also floated that they want to play Dean Wade more at the three. And our boy Lamar Stevens might get more reps as well. We've said from the beginning of the season last year into the offseason this year that we are loaded with talent. We're just injured all the time. That's what the Cavs did today. They offloaded some of that talent that they were redundant on, and they brought in one of the most talked about players in the league. Then they immediately made us a destination the way that LeBron did, where now ESPN and these other networks are going to have to talk about us. That is exciting in the sense of we have kind of questioned whether or not Altman could pull the trigger at the right time in the right way. And he definitely hit the nail on the head in that sense. I'm still a little curious to see how all of it shakes out. But Altman is doing right by the team. And clearly he has a pulse on how to build and craft an NBA roster. Much better than obviously you and I ever will. <laughs> so. Yeah, the guy clearly knows what he's doing. And, you know, you hear from all the corners of the NBA that he's revered. They just think he's amazing. And it's one of the reasons why he had the longest tenure of anybody in that position and now has been moved into a higher role because with his direction and leadership, this is going to be what we wanted. Well, let me not say that. So far, with his direction and leadership, he's flirting with building a dynasty here. And that's all I ever wanted for the Cavs because this town really wanted a championship because they were starved for one. But they have a football mentality here, which is you win one, and oh, we finally won one. And yes, it's great to get more, but in the NFL, getting more is not necessary because you got one. It's so hard. It's, it's such an amazing feat, all that. In the NBA, you want to win multiple, multiple times. You want to be a, a, a name that is repeated so many times within that conversation that now you're just a part of the NBA conversation every time it's brought up. And that's what Jordan did for the Bulls. He turned them into a dynasty. And all I ever wanted LeBron to do was turn the Cavs into a dynasty. So this is exciting to me because they've done it the right way. They've built from the draft. They've brought in the right character of people. And I mean in, in the sense of their temperaments, their temperaments on the floor and their ability to get along with each other and play for the right reasons and play through adversity together and all of that. I, that's why I'm concerned with Sexton gone. I thought he was a huge part of that mentality being brought here. Mitchell has to know that coming in, Sexton was a beloved guy, and it doesn't matter how good you are. If you can't come in and play the right role for this team, they might not like you very much. It's important to, to make this place into something more long-lasting than just, oh, we got one. And that's kind of the selfishness of LeBron's career that like he kind of just went around and got him. But that didn't make a team like the Cavaliers a part of the NBA conversation. It's like, oh, well, you know, if it wasn't for LeBron, there's nothing that he created here that's now still here. So what I love about what Kobe has done is that he's built in such a short period of time something that feels like it's going to last. And this trade, this acquired piece is him saying, We've done the work, we feel good about where we are, and now we want to compete every year, we're ready to do that. Mitchell's going to be our guy. They should be a top four team in the East this season. They should be fighting for the top four spots with this move. 
as opposed to I was thinking they would be six to, you know, one through six in the top six. I think that with this move, they should be up there figuring out if Mitchell kind of fits in. There's a little bit of a grace period of trying to figure everything out. But once they're all on the floor together, that's a lot of firepower, a lot of defensive stability with Allen and Mobley there. They should be able to wreck the East more than they even did last year. Do you agree with that? And lastly, when's their championship window opening? I thought they were in the top five before this move. So they're they're possibly in the top three in the East. It, it really depends on how quickly they gel together and then the injury bug. So those are the two big things. The championship window, I think, is what I mentioned earlier. I think it's Allen's, well, the first window. <laughs> Let me put it that way. So the first window, because this is an extremely young team, and I think that Mobley hopefully will have maybe two rounds of a career that he's got a great team with him and he can go at runs at championships. So if that's the case, let's say this first round, let's fit it with in the rest of Allen's contract window until his resigning. So he's got four years left. I think, as I stated earlier, this means they're going to push really hard over the next four years to get a ring. I think that's because then other players' contracts, other things will start to kind of be coming up. And then it's, all right, do we keep what we have? Do we add? Do we subtract? Then the way that the Warriors added Durant, like you never know where we'll be. But I think that in, in three years, we should win one. With the fourth year being, if we didn't, it'll be a travesty, but it could happen in the fourth year. I wouldn't be shocked if it takes two seasons to really unlock ourselves and win a championship. But do I think it's possible that they could win a championship now with the team they have? Yeah, possible. Possible only because of, yeah, because of all the other things that could happen, of injuries and other things. If you luck your way into the finals because other teams had issues, but you were, you were almost ready, but you're, you're ready enough because those teams now have less, then anything could happen if you get there. And they're extremely talented. And with a guy like Mitchell and a top five defense behind him, if we could keep that up. I agree with the window in your mindset too. As long as Mobley is here, I think that the Cavs should always be building around who he is and what he is to stay in contention for a championship. And that's what I also see with this move is we saw how elated Altman was when they were able to get Mobley. And he is not kidding himself that he needs to make sure that Mobley has as much talent and as many good players around him as quickly as possible. When LeBron first got to the Cavs, that was not the mindset. That was, that was just was like, hey, we got Ira Nubel. So it's really refreshing to see that different mindset. So I would say in the next three years, they should be vying for Eastern Conference titles, really trying to get in the, the finals for sure. But I also do give you credit in saying like, these next two seasons mean a lot. We really need to figure out if Mitchell gels. But if you, I'm just thinking about like Garland should have another level, especially with the contract you just signed. So Garland should get even better by expectation standpoints. And Mobley, we've talked about, isn't even fully unlocked. And Allen and Mitchell are pretty much proven commodities, but they're both guys who constantly improve on their game. So that's four dudes. And so we need to fit in another guy there. 
and hopefully we'll figure that out. But yeah, in the next three years, they better be in an Eastern Conference Finals and fighting for that ring. Thank you for listening to the Cavaliers Basketball Club podcast. Let's go Cavs!